episode seven of the final frame is here. Brett Maloney and Dan Gardella. And we do have Dan Gardella today. He's back off the DL, recovered from his busy schedule that he had going on, but he's back, ready to go. Dan, how you feeling, brother? Yeah, I mean, I it, no, it was no COVID-related issues, I could tell you that. It was just purely exhaustion and busyness, but uh, we're back and ready to get started. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no COVID problem for you. Just that's our other house. That's our other house. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, <laughs> damn, you suck. Today we got about a quarter of the way through the NBA season. So we're going to kind of talk about what we've seen through about the first 15, 16 games for most teams who haven't dealt with COVID problems. College basketball season, the conference, conference schedules ramping up now. We're about just under 50 days away from selection Sunday, which is super exciting. And then we got the Super Bowl, man, in about 10, 11 days, whatever that is. Bucks and Chiefs, I don't know if you predicted that. I mean, I thought the Chiefs, but I was expecting the pack to be there. But we'll, we'll start right there then, I guess. So we've seen the playoffs unfold. We've seen Brady and the Bucks win three straight road games. We've seen the Chiefs narrowly beat the Browns minus Mahomes for the fourth quarter. And then we see them, I don't know if you want to say steamroll the Bills, but kind of show their stripes and show why they are the defending champs. So what, like, what, what'd you think about it? Well, I mean, you, I mean, you were right. I did not predict uh, certainly the Bucks. I mean, I think I went against the Chiefs. Um, because obviously they were the easy pick coming off of last year. And, you know, the yeah, fact everyone, that everyone was riding high on the bills. Exactly. And the bills were emerging as, as kind of that team that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't pick to make the super bowl just because that they're kind of the new kids on the block and they hadn't really been experienced in playoff games. I mean, this, this year was, I think this was their first playoff win in like 20 years or something like that. So, you know, they're new to it. They haven't been around it and let alone competing with a team that was fresh off of a Super Bowl of last year in the Chiefs. I mean, the result that we got in the AFC championship game was something that I think a lot of people were expecting maybe to compete for a little bit, but in the end, the Chiefs would flex their muscles and the offense would show up which is something we didn't really see a lot this season. We saw them hanging around with teams, the Chiefs not really putting away teams early and making games a lot more interesting than they really needed to be. So, But on the NFC side, I personally saw either the Saints or the Packers. Obviously, the Saints continue to have that bad luck. You know, this is maybe four year, going on four years now of unluckiness in the playoffs, not being able to reach a Super Bowl. Um, and, and it could be the end of an era because we don't know the status of Drew Brees, but – I mean, the Bucks, their offense, you know, with Tom Brady, what he's doing at 43 years of age is remarkable. And I think regardless of who you root for, you just have to, as a sports fan, recognize what he's been able to do. And, and it's remarkable. I mean, regardless of who you're, who you're rooting for, but the Tampa Bay defense is playing as well as they have all season. I mean, Devin White is a beast on that defensive end. Obviously, the two picks against New Orleans was, you know, pressuring Aaron Rodgers time after time in that championship game. The reason they won that championship game was not because of their offense, because we remember Tom Brady throwing three picks on three straight drives. 
The Packers very well could have put the game away, but only came away with six points in those three drives, and it's because of the defense. So if they can show up similarly in the Super Bowl and contain Patrick Mahomes in a little bit, we could be talking about the Bucs Super Bowl champs. Yeah, I mean, hey, the guy's going for ring seven. Like, like him or not, everyone has their opinion on him. And, like, obviously, like, I love the guy. He's brought me six championships of pure happiness. But, like, some people like him, some people don't. But to be in your 10th Super Bowl with the chance to win your seventh is just a, an, like, crazy, crazy stat that just probably no one would achieve again. But, like, as you said, I think – the biggest reason as to why the Bucks are where they are now with the chance to be the first ever team to play the Super Bowl in their home stadium and then win it is not the offense. As you said, Brady threw three straight picks and mind you, three straight bad picks. Like it wasn't like the defense made a crazy play on it. Like they were just poor throws. But the Bucks defense, man, as, as you said, Whole new level. You Devin White, yeah. Pro Bowl or yeah, all pro snub, Pro Bowl snub. Guy's been a stud. Sean Murphy bunting, a second year guy at a central Michigan, has three picks in three games in the playoffs. Granted, he might have got away with a little a little hold on his one against the Packers, but that's fine. That's fine. And then Winfield makes a huge play in the Saints game, popping the ball out of Jared Cook. And Shaq Barrett and JPP are getting relentless pressure on whatever QB they're facing. So as you said, if they, it's hard to contain Patrick Mahomes. But if you can slow him down and maybe not allow Tyree Kill to have 200-plus yards in the first quarter, eh, you might have a chance. Because, you know, if, if you give the ball to Brady in the fourth quarter in a game, especially in the Super Bowl, you know he's leading you a drive. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that we've we've seen from Brady is that no lead in the Super Bowl is big enough. Obviously, you cite the 28-3. to three, you, you know, there's a bunch of different stories from a bunch of different Super Bowls that he's been in. I mean, this is, you know, the, the AFC Championship game, it was his 14th championship game in his 21-year career, which is just in a remarkable statistic. Remarkable, yeah. Just something that is probably never going to happen again. Maybe I mean, Patrick Mahomes is on the right track. I mean, what is this, two and three years as a starter? No, all three, I think. This is his third straight, yeah. I mean, you take, out his, you take out his rookie year because he wasn't starting. He barely even yeah. played. So if you're calling his second season his first official year as a starting quarterback, he's three for three, which is obviously uh, certainly a better rate right now. But, you know, you got to think that that, that is obviously not going to stand – the test of time, but I mean, what he's been able to do, I mean, that's what the Bucks defense is going to, if they can keep the Bucks in the game, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, maybe one score, 10 point game, you know, that's, that's when, if you're a Chiefs fan, you're really starting to sweat because you know who you're punting that ball, kicking that ball back to. And it's one of the greatest, if not the greatest player of all time. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. Like if you're in this type of game where you have like these two decorated QBs, you don't, if you're the opposing QB, you don't want to be settling for field goals in this game. 
And like it could it could turn out to be that way. Like Bruce Arians has the guts. You damn well know Andy Reid has the guts. And he could just be like, dude, fourth and two at the thirty-eight. Like, screw it. I'm going for it. Yeah, I mean I I think we're gonna see that point. Yeah, we're definitely gonna see I wanna say we're gonna see at least one of those times early in the game. I would even just say first half, where one of the coaches it's gonna be you know, at least for one drive, there's going to be a four down territory that we are just not going to expect given whatever the score may be, the situation, you know, possession of the ball, who has the momentum, whatever. We may see one of those because like you said, Bruce Arians is just grinded out. You know, he's, he's got those, those brass things between his legs that he can make some really gutsy calls. And obviously we saw Andy Reid do it on the other side when they played the Browns. I mean, Chad Henney and, you know, you line up on fourth and one, you're everybody thinks you're just trying to get him off sides. And then he throws a quick slant. Like that's the kind of thing that nobody expects, but Andy Reid is the kind of coach that can do that. And of course it works because he's just been, you know, the Patrick Mahomes whisperer ever since he took over under center. Yeah. I mean, in his eight years as being the coach of the Chiefs, he's never had a losing record. And the only time he picked in the top 10 is he traded up there and drafted Mahomes at 10. I think, so I think the, 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 I think he knows what he's doing. And the funniest storyline is, you know, you always go back to it in a way it's, it's kind of beating a dead horse in this sense, but obviously during the, as you know, after the saints lost or even before the game, you know, what if, the Saints who were targeting Patrick Mahomes ended up taking him. We we would not we I, he still would not have been playing much under center because Drew Brees would obviously still be around. So it's kind of those like if you're like in an episode of Black Mirror of like the various ways things can go. I mean that's just one of the various ways. Like what's the quarterback situation in Kansas City? Is Andy Reid still coaching football? Like there's a bunch of different things that like what if this happened? But obviously. We're living in this reality where Patrick Mahomes is currently the best quarterback in football, and the Chiefs have just established themselves as as a juggernaut of a team, both offensively and defensively. They're getting better, but man, I was just I gonna mean, say, yeah, like to me, and like, yeah, it might sound like pretty obvious, but like the biggest storyline for me, other than obviously Brady versus Mahomes, is which defense makes enough stops and or plays is going to win the game. Like we've said, the Bucks defense has been great. The Chiefs defense is never going to get the love because of the offense and the skill that they have. But they've made plays too. They've got the stops when they need. They've forced punts when they need. Like they've done everything that is just asked of them because they know the guy on the other side of the ball is going to go get them points. Yeah, I think I honestly think we are in for a uh, a typical Big Twelve football showdown <laughs> where whatever defense ends up getting enough stops on that side of the ball is going to be in a much better position to win the game and could come from turnovers, could come from just three and outs or getting big third down stops. I mean, this game could very well come down to just needing a third down stop, like we saw in the AFC Championship game, like we saw in, not in the AFC Championship game, but the NFC Championship game where. I mean, the Packers were 
getting close to the end zone. We're in what you would think would be four down territory. They kicked the ball away, which is another stop for the I, Tampa I defense. Say, I don't even think I don't even think we need to like talk about that play. Like everybody knows. Yeah, I think it's been it's been harped upon that it was probably one of the most questionable plays in playoff, at least recent memory. I mean, to go with that. And you can't even say the analytics were on their side because everybody said that the analytics were, were would say that they had obviously a better chance to win had they have gone for it, result or not, whether they had converted on it or not, compared to kicking the field goal, which analytics said was basically a wash because you're still trailing by, what was it, five at that point? You're kicking it back to them with two minutes yeah, to go, they, all they three of your timeouts. You trailed by five once the field goal went in, yeah. And you, so you essentially had one chance, one stop to get a three and out. You may lose all your timeouts or whatever, depending on what the play call is, but you get the ball back and you would hope to score. And obviously they had the big play. Gronk came up big in that drive and they ended up burning all the timeouts from Green Bay and then running out the clock. And that is obviously one of the biggest stories talked about in that game outside of the no or the flag call, which ultimately sealed the game as well. But like you said, it's been talked about enough. We're moving on to the Super Bowl and, you know, hopefully the the exciting game that's to come. Yeah. So right now, 10 ish days away. Chiefs and Bucks. I'm still going to say Chiefs. Um I just think that that you know they are playing in Tampa, so you think like, all right, maybe there's somewhat of a home field advantage. They are having I don't know remember the exact number of fans that they're going to have there. I think it's like twenty two thousand. Yeah, something around those numbers. But I, you know, Patrick Mahomes is is I think he's ready to kind of you know you think that he's already accomplished a lot, and at this point, all oh, his legacies continuing to grow, but. I think a state of Super Bowl win against Tom Brady, who is having one of the best seasons he's had probably within the last five seasons, culminating in a matchup in the Super Bowl. I think it's just another, you know, note or check mark that we put in, in his legacy and it's going to happen in 10 ish days. Yeah. See, like I've just seen it time after time and I just simply can't bet against Tom at this point. And now he has, like, way better weapons than what he did two years ago when he won the thing. So if if Mike Evans can have himself a game, Godwin's going to do his thing. And then, like, you already, like, know. And, like, I can just sense it. Is it's going to get to a point in the fourth quarter, like you talked about, where he could be leading a drive? And like you damn well know he's he's hunting 87 dudes somewhere over the middle if that's the case. Like that's his most prized and loved target. And he's gonna find Gronk over the middle and just every Pats fan is just gonna sit there and just be like oh, just a sigh. But that's the thing. I mean, like, you're obviously somebody who's rooting for Tom Brady, and you know, because of obviously all the success he had in New England and the championships and all that. But I mean, I just, just can't understand how some Patriot fans are somehow bitter about all of it. And the fact that uh, he's winning with another, he won five Super Bowls for like six Super Bowls for you. I mean, what more do you want from this man? He gave you <laughs> nah, 20 nah. great seasons in New yeah. England. I mean, 
geez, like at some point it's kind of like, all right, we get it. Like you're mad, yeah, you're salty. I'm not bitter about it. I'm just like, it, like obviously like it sucks. Like you've never seen the guy in a different uniform than the Patriot one. But then you look at it and you're like, all right, like it, it was just time. Like he's been here for 20 years. We clearly weren't going to give him the money he wanted. And he went to a team with just an absurd amount of talent on the offensive end. Clearly he's going to succeed with it. Like the guy is the greatest quarterback of all time for a reason. You give him good talent around him. Good things are going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think now, now more so than ever, we saw just how, stripped he was of talent in new england i mean the fact that you put him you put him on a new team when you have no training camp and you know you think it may take time or a season to kind of get the the communication and the chemistry under control and this man throws what 40 plus touchdowns which he hadn't done in a couple of seasons and he leads them you know playoff tom leads them back to the super bowl with a bunch of guys that never really sniffed the postseason before. And I mean, that just shows not only how great Brady is, but just how bad that receiving core was in New England. Yep. Yep. You're not wrong, pal. But yeah, I'll take, I'll take the box right now. It's probably not going to change my opinions, but I'll say the box. You can, you can say the chiefs. I mean, I'm just, I just think it's going to be a really good game regardless. And that's all I hope for, honestly, at this point. What are the uh you know for uh, entertainment purposes only? What's the what's the line? What are they giving them? Yeah, it started I believe four and a half Chiefs, and it is it's three Chiefs are favored by three right now. So I mean I expect that. I think yeah I think it's going to dance around the three to five range yeah. up until kickoff. I I think obviously the Chiefs I think would be betting favorites just because higher seed mm-hmm. were there last year, won it last year. Like that's just how it's going to go. But um, it's certainly totally. going to be, it's, it's certainly not going to be a, a big, str- uh, big spread, you know, between. The oh, yeah. Especially the box at home. Like you can't, you can't say anything else about that, but let's move away from the field to the hardwood. We'll start. We'll start on the professional level. We'll keep it that way. So as we said in the opening, we're about, quarter of the way through the year through the 72 games 16 ish games per team let's say so we'll start this way what team would you say has surprised you the most early on in the season and yeah it is still early obviously but like what team so far have you been like like damn like they're playing some really nice ball well i would be i would be uh I would not be a loyal fan if I didn't say the Knicks in some way are surprising me. I mean, I'm not saying that they're playing great ball because, you know, one night we see them win next night, we see them lose by, you know, 20, Mm -hmm. but I mean, they're certainly playing better. I mean, eight and 11 through 19 games. I think that is certainly more than I expected them to, uh, uh, to be at, at this point in the season, I honestly expected them to be a little bit, uh, a little bit lower, but you know, I, it, I got to stick probably near the top of, of the East. I mean, I think the Sixers are just not being talked about enough. Specifically, Joel Embiid is not being talked about nearly enough compared to, you know, the others, 
stars in the NBA. I mean, Giannis has been struggling. The Bucs have not been meeting the expectations early on. And Pete's averaging 28 and 11 and a half a night. Like, he right now they're number one in the East. Obviously, like we said, it's still early. But, I mean, he is the biggest reason there. And the fact that they had to do so much shifting with their salary cap. And yet, I remember at the end of the, you know, after they lost to the Celtics in the postseason last year, people were saying that this Sixers team salary cap wise was handcuffed. They couldn't do anything to get better. They, you know, Embiid and Simmons could not work together. And, you know, one can't do well without, you know, alone or they have to, they, they don't do as well together, you know, and they've just so far, they've shown that they are beginning to mesh. And, you know, you have Dwight Howard backing up Embiid. You got, I mean, Danny Green is a shooting option. You got rid of Al Horford, which was probably one of the biggest things that they had to do to give themselves some kind of, I guess if you want to call it flexibility, but it's not really flexibility when you still have Tobias Harris on a massive yeah, deal. Seth, ben Simmons. Seth, Curry, Seth Curry, to me, has been the biggest addition. The guy's shooting almost 60% from three. Exactly, yeah. I mean, when you get when you get shooters around, and I think that's what we've said for, you know, since Ben Simmons became relevant in the league as a point guard, people were saying you need shooters around them. That's the only way that they're going to be remotely good. And getting somebody like Seth Curry, if you leave him wide open, he's going to make you pay in some form or fashion. So, yeah, I think they've been the biggest surprise to me. Um, I thought they were going to be, they're going to be a playoff team regardless, but um, the early start, especially because of what Embiid's done has been, uh, has been the top story for me. Yeah. I mean, like on your Sixers point, I, I do think Embiid has been, fantastic and like i watched him just physically like manhandle the celtics for two straight nights which was terrible but like it yeah it definitely hasn't been simmons i mean i've i've been on the the non-simmons hype train for what is this is what his fourth year now playing like the guy can't shoot and to me he's just like if he doesn't have the ball in his hands in a half court offense he is like physically like unplayable like mm-hmm. he just sits down there doing the dunker position and that's it in transition he's great length speed size got it all defense great i mean i freaking picked the guy to win defensive player of the year guards one through five but just that i still think he's the thing that is going to hold them back from achieving what they want to ultimately achieve and B is going to do his thing. There's really no one that can guard the man in the league. And you said added Tobias, or they didn't add Tobias. They have Tobias still. Added Curry. Added Danny Green. Yes, Danny Green gets all this hate. The guy's a three-time champion. He's won two championships back-to-back. He's going to hit some shots. He might not hit all of them, but he's going to hit some shots. Curry's going to hit the open look. Tobias is going to give you 18 to 20 a night. It all comes down to Simmons. For me, it like if you're a Sixers fan, that guy is going to be either the way if he can somewhat progress into somewhat of a capable half court offensive player, you can potentially go to the conference finals. If he plays the way he plays right now, where he's averaging 12 points and eight and eight about, you're not, you're not, you're going to win maybe a playoff series, and that's it, depending on the matchup. And we've seen it. I saw him two playoffs ago the guy scored one point in the game versus Celtics like come on yeah I mean 
offensively in terms of production wise, it's just, it's not great, but. But again, he brings you so much on the defensive end. And like, that's the, that's the thing that doc has to play with. Yeah. In a way you kind of have to accept the liability because he brings like so much more to the game. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think in some way, because you don't have him doing as much offensively and he is grabbing rebounds and assisting that does allow Embiid who we all know thrives under, you know, the momentum and the energy he's done extremely well. And as we've said, he has played his way into MVP conversations this early in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, most surprising team, I'm actually going to say the Pacers. Like Miles Turnerman, and like, yeah, the guy could have been a Celtic, which kills me now. The dude's averaging four blocks a night. Sabonis has been dominant. Brogdon has been a stud. You trade Oladipo in the James Harden deal. You get back Karras. You save the guy's life, first off. And now you're without TJ Warren, you're without Karras. And you just still continue to win games. Mind you, in the first year of a new head coach regime, like they might not be the most like watchable team because they don't do anything spectacular. But they just play like a solid brand of basketball. And I was really expecting them to take a step back. And they're fourth in the East right now. Yeah, and I mean, they dodged an injury scare with Sabonis. He banged knees or something and there was no no structural damage they said so that's obviously a a big positive but yeah I mean they were I think we said between me and you obviously off air that the Pacers were in a way they were big winners in the James Harden deal as well because you get Karis LeVert who we know when there was no KD or Kyrie that he was the number one option and he was very productive efficient just and could prove that he is a good secondary option because we know in Indiana, you got guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Sabonis, as we said, um, who can score the ball as well. So there may be nights where he is that third option. And we've seen that he can do that and do it at a high level. And then obviously you add in the fact that, you know, this trade literally saved his life, had uh, kidney surgery, got it removed, um, is expected to make a full recovery. There's no other treatment or surgery or, anything that needs to go on. So that's obviously great news to hear as well. But um, obviously that, you know, you have them under control for, I think another two seasons after this year Mm -hmm. um, at a relatively cheap cost. And most importantly, you got rid of an expiring Victor Oladipo, who we know is going to ask for a lot in free agency. So, you know, financially they're in a really good spot. I don't really know who they're paying a whole lot. I mean, Brogdon's probably their highest paid player and he's making maybe what 25 mil less than that. Yeah, Turner makes about 18. Levert's about 15 now. I don't even know what Sabonis is. Sabonis isn't that high either. So like, Sabonis, I think, is around 15-ish or so. So it's probably Brogdon, and then I think TJ Warren's like 20. So it's just like all like in today's landscape of the NBA, relatively friendly deals. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's 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 certainly a good situation to be in financially, and everybody's under – you know, control for mm-hmm. they're under control for a couple of years too. So you can afford to maybe take some, you know, take some flyers in the draft, uh, guys that may be seen as projects or people that you can develop a little before you get them up and you're not going to experience a drop off. I mean, we've seen that with, uh, with the Denver Nuggets, obviously, um, 
late in the lottery, taking Michael Porter Jr., knew that he was going to be a project. They still did well. They kind of did the same with Bull Bull. Um, so they can afford to do that now because now they have this this flexibility in terms of what they can do with their future because they know whether this this these draft picks or acquisitions turn out right or not, they still have a solid starting five and a pretty solid bench to put on the floor every night. Mm-hmm. All right, so then other end of it, most disappointing team so far. I'll I'll start for you. I'm gonna go with the Wizards. Like I, I was personally so high. Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook are like both like some of my favorite players in the league, and like I was like, okay, I feel like this is really gonna work. And yes, Westbrook and John Wall are like the same type of guy. But even if Westbrook ain't scoring the ball, he's gonna provide you with rebounding, assists. He's gonna get you an open look, and Beal's giving you thirty-five points a night, and they still can't win a game. So I don't even like know what the problem is. Yet, like, yes, they have no center depth now because Thomas Bryant's out for the year. You have a rookie in Denny who's been eh, nothing special. Ruiz just he hasn't really progressed much since last year's rookie year. And man, like Westbrook is just hucking up bricks, dude. Like I love the guy and he is just shooting terribly. Yeah, I saw I mean, somewhere it was like his effective field goal percentage out of like I think it was like 145 qualified players, he's 144th. Well, I mean, there was a number that went out today. I mean, he has 165 points on the season on 165 shots, which is not even close to efficient. And like the furthest thing from efficient. Yeah. And you, you know, you think that maybe there could be some kind of one, two punch with him and Beal, but I mean, Beal's put up 30 and they're still losing by 30. That's the part that strikes me is that they're not even competitive in these games when Beal is still putting up these all-star numbers, which just shows that they obviously struck out on the draft the past two years when they had a top 10 pick. And now we obviously know all the people who were taken outside of the top 10 that are having solid starts to their careers, but man, like so, that team is just in a no win situation and Beal, Beal just signed a new contract, I think, or an extension. So he's locked in there and I just feel terrible for the guy because he can't, he fit. He literally and figuratively cannot win. <laughs> Denny has given you seven points, four boards, and two assists in 23 minutes on 45, 46, 63. So, like, that's not terrible. But, like, you kind of expect a guy who is a lottery pick to maybe give you a little more in, like, the minutes he's playing. And Rui's giving you just under 14, just under five boards, and two assists in 28 minutes. He's shooting 50% from the field, 31 from three, and, like, 75 from the line. So it's just, like... It's For not- two players that you want to be cornerstones in your organization, those that's just not good enough. Yeah, for and, when and, you drafted them, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that you, you know, especially last year with, with, or two years ago, I should say now. Two years ago? Yeah, with Rui. I mean, you didn't even work the guy out or try him out or have any sort of connection. So why are you taking him when 
we obviously know the people that were taken behind him. Like that is the kind of thing that like, all right, if he was the best available, understandable, you know, got to do what you got to do. But I mean, with the eighth pick, I mean, I, I got to go back and look. I mean, yeah, he was, I think he was ninth. He was, this was, he was 2019, right? Yeah. No, yeah. Zion draft. Yeah. Yes. Players that were taken behind him that probably could have been a little bit more serviceable on this team. So yeah, per, I have the perfect guy. Cam Johnson. I was looking exactly. I knew, I one. knew you were going to look there too. Like the guy is awesome in Phoenix for the role he plays. He's mm-hmm. playing the four position, starting at the four, defending at a an okay rate, but he's knocking down open threes, hustle play after hustle play, and that's all they ask from him. And he's doing it at a very good clip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, imagine him on that team. You you can run out a lineup in the end of game situation. You run out Westbrook handling the ball. Then he gives it off to Beal. And you have Bertans and Cam Johnson in the corner. And you say, Brad, go make a play. The right play. Those are two guys who are going to hit the shot if you give it to them. Yeah, well, I mean, just... I mean, I'm not even going to get like that. Like, Cam Johnson, obviously, has been great. But, I mean, even if you did, like... I don't even... Like... P.J. Washington... I was looking PJ Washington. I mean, even going down like Brandon Clark is like, obviously he's not a, he's not as good offensively, but like just defensively, this team is awful as well. Like yeah, they're horrible defense. Like they, they, I mean, they don't even guard parked cars, dude. Like they just let them. Buy. <laughs> like, it's yeah. Crazy. I mean, I mean, after that, there's not really too many. I mean, you don't want to say Tyler hero. Cause obviously the dynamic wouldn't have worked because obviously Beals no, yeah, guard. I heroes. I mean, now he's kind of a point guard, but I mean, even like, I don't even like, I just think that there were a couple of their options or even what they could have done is trade it down, you know, get somebody just maybe not as, as good potentially as Rui, but like with lower expectations, at least within the fan base or the organization. And you could have come out with more assets, whether it's draft picks, um, salary cap space, whatever you want to call it. But like, this team is just in such a tough place that yeah, they're like, in like cap hell too. And you just got to feel like awful for Brad Beal because this dude has been, this is the only team he's been with his entire career and he's just getting wasted. Yeah. I mean, he's really like taking his game to like new heights the past two years. Like it was like him and B, I mean, him and wall, who's better, who's not like, who's the one, who's the two. And they had those playoff runs. Wall goes down, and this guy just takes his game to, like, whole new heights. And you're saying he's the type of guy who's going to go get me 25 to 30 on a nightly basis, regardless of the environment or the atmosphere, whatever's going on. So you work, you build around that, and he's shown the commitment to the franchise, and it just hasn't worked. Yeah, I mean, just overall, like – like in a way, like you just feel bad because especially the fact that last night the Rockets, the Houston Rockets, who you specifically made a trade with to get Russell Westbrook and John Wall, who give him all the credit in the world, has been has looked great 
in his first year, first year back in more than two years because of knee and Achilles and all that. And he goes out and balls out against you guys and beats you by 30 and then says, I, this was a personal game for me. And rightfully so, because the Wizards, I mean, frankly, just gave up on them. And the fact that they beat them down, if you're Brad Beal, that's just like, you, you just don't know what to do. You're just sick to your stomach because it just shows that John Wall leaves and somehow is just performing better because that organization is just toxic. Yeah, it's it's tough, and you just don't know how to fix it. But I'm going to move on from the Wizards. They're 3-10. They're, yeah. they're terrible. We're getting too angry at them. Yeah, they're terrible. So we'll stay on the same wave, but just in terms of a player – is there one guy who's like, you're like, damn, like this guy's taking his game to like a new level. Could be like, could be like the front run, like it could be a front runner for like most improved. Cause that's like, that's like one of the award awards that I really like enjoy the best. Cause it's like, all right, who is, who is really taking their game to new heights? And like, I, I got a couple guys in mind. If, if you want me to go first. Well, there's one right off the, top that uh, I mean it's one that I don't think will win but I just want to say like in general CJ McCollum I mean this dude now I mean yeah obviously he's out for some time now but I mean the biggest thing was was that you know you got two undersized guards in the NBA like they both can shoot like crazy but it'll never work because you just bring you know yeah, it's like a, defensive a, defensive liability. It's, it's a defensive liability, but you look, I mean, Dame's averaging close to 29, and McCollum's averaging just about 27-ish. So you're getting 56 points a night from your backcourt. And given McCollum, I mean, he, he's a career, you know, 19 to 20-point-a-game score, and last year he had 22 points. But, I mean, elevating it like that just kind of shows that, like, they are – very compatible. Obviously, defensively is a different story, but I mean, let's be real. The league is about offense. It's about the firepower, and mm-hmm. having a backcourt that can put you up almost sixty a night between the two of them, like that's impressive. And he's obviously stepped his game up. Dame obviously is just—he's at a high level and he's been consistent, so you can't take anything away from him. Yeah, but it's, it's literally just Dame. Yeah. So I mean, I would say him just as somebody who is elevated. I don't think that he's going to win Most Improved Player, but no. um, I have to do a little bit of searching. Actually, no, I probably don't have to do much searching, to be honest with you, because I'm kind of going through. There's there's probably two that I would narrow it between. Let me just double check here so I don't come across as an idiot. <laughs> yeah, there's two that I would do. Okay, go ahead. I'll let you one go. In, one in the east, one in the west, and I apologize. Yo, me too. No way. If I – if I, oh, what do we got here? If you say the same two guys, I'll be shocked. So – my one in the East has been a beast since a change of scenery. All right, then we're not on the same page, but go ahead. That man is Jeremy Grant on the Pistons. This dude, I mean, you think of, I mean, role player in Denver, did his job great. Um, usually defensive guy, didn't really score a whole lot, kind of was, there's other people that he could defer to. This man is in the top 20 in scoring. He's averaging 24 a game. Six and a half, like, he has stepped up a lot. And he, obviously the Pistons have been extremely disappointing. But 
wouldn't even say disappointing. Like they're just plain old bad. That, I mean, yes, that that too. Um, but overall, I mean, he's been he's been one of the bright spots, and obviously yeah, he just signed totally. a contract there. So, and if he's putting up 24, 25, and seven for what he got signed for, which I think was what maybe twenty million a year, less than that, a little less than that. Uh, I think it may have been in like the eighteen to nineteen range, but I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. But even if you know. That's solid production from somebody like that. So I would say probably him. Yeah, he got 20 a year, three for 60. Yeah, and if you put up 25 and seven, I mean, that's a bargain for the Pistons. And I wouldn't really say bargain. I mean, hopefully their young guys can develop right. around them, you know, turn into a team that could, you know, sneak their way into the Eastern Conference playoffs in a year or two. The guy in the West that I want to say, because and he's also on my fantasy team because <laughs> late pick, but been balling out. Average at a double-double for the now seemingly chemistry-recovered Houston Rockets. And that man is Christian Wood. Hey, I, think I mean, those two guys, man, are like the two frontrunners for most improved right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I will admit I had not been paying attention much to, to Jeremy Grant, but obviously because Christian Wood is on my fantasy team, I can kind of see engage how he's been playing. And, I mean, he had a bit of ankle problem issue where he was out for a couple games not producing to his highest but i mean early in the year he was dropping 26 and 13 i mean and he's a guy that stretches the floor is good shooting on the perimeter like he certainly would be a guy that he can he can handle the thing too now yeah and especially with the group that they have now with no james harden you can tell that they're just they feel freer on the court because they don't have that anchor weighing down of somebody who just doesn't want to be there Mm. i mean I wouldn't be surprised if he won it either. So, so I I do also have a guy in the East and a guy in the West. I'm I'm surprised I didn't take him from you. <laughs> I thought you were, especially the West. So I'll start with the West. I'm gonna go Mikel Bridges, man. Like you and I, you like you and I have talked together. Like obviously we've known the guy since his Villanova days. Oh yeah, but like in a team like the Suns, where there was so much expectation coming into the air and they've basically lived up to it, I would say. But like Booker hasn't got off to that great start. Aiton was slow out the gate. CP3 is kind of working his way still in. Mikael Bridges, man, has been like the mainstay of that team. He's guarding the best player every single night, every possession he's on the court. And he's giving you great production from three while averaging 15, 6, and 2, and he's shooting 46 from 3. Like, come on. The guy's been great. And I just, like, I love the versatility that he provides, especially, like, on that team. He knows his role and is just, like, killing it nightly. And then the guy on the East, like, I'm going to go Jalen Brown. JB has been dirty. All year, and like I hate, I hate to use the word dirty, but like he's he's just been nasty. Like, Tatum was out five games with COVID. Yeah, the Celtics went two and three in those five games, but he's taken his game from a twenty point per game score, where now like it's it's twenty seven a night right now, and you're expecting it to be around there the whole year. Like I obviously I don't expect it to stay at twenty seven, 
but even like 24 to 25 is like a huge step from two years ago. He was averaging 13 last year. He was like the fighting third option with Gordon Hayward on the team. Playoffs come, he kind of bumps Kemba. He's like, all right, I'm the two now. And now it's like 1A, 1B, best young duo in the NBA. Because you damn well know what Tatum's going to give you every night. COVID or not, the guy's just going to come in and give you bucket after bucket. And this dude has, Jalen Brown has turned himself into an elite two-way player in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, he's been... uh... He's certainly been the guy that they've needed to lean on because, like you said, Tatum being out with COVID, you know, lots of moving parts with the team. Obviously, Pritchard now out for – he was out for a little bit. Yeah, Um, he's out two weeks. Kemba just came back last week. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously a lot of moving parts there. He's been the one consistent player that's kind of still been playing through all this stuff. But, I mean, yeah, like you said, he's been been the guy that they've needed and – Especially, they, he's shown that hey, you know, I can be a number one option whenever. I yeah, I can carry the load when need be. It's like if Tatum has an off night, it's not a, it's not like a cry for help. It's like all right, we'll just we'll just give it to this guy and he'll go do his thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, in terms of in terms of uh, Mikael Bridges, I mean, I don't want to say I've known this from the beginning. Uh, but I'm going to say I knew this from the beginning. I mean, basically what he's doing now is kind of how his his last year at Villanova went, where the dude just was robotic from three, where he would just make – I think he made something like 46%, 47% from three, and he was shooting a decent amount. He was guarding the best player. He was kind of doing all the little things, and that's what made him a top 10 pick. It wasn't – I mean, the dude was a stick coming into the league. I mean, he mm-hmm. – he wasn't, you know, the the bulkiest guy, but he just had the long arms, long wingspan. It was great defensively, could shoot too, which was a big question mark before going into his last year. So now, I mean, it's it's just kind of he's putting all the pieces together after two years in the league, and you know, he's just showing that he can kind of be not a great two way player, but can certainly produce on both ends of the floor. And when you when you have the capability to guard the team, the other team's best player night in and night out, like that alone gets you on the court for 30 minutes a night, regardless of how you play offensively. And it just helps that he can shoot the lights out. Totally agree. Totally agree. So in the opposite end, a player who's disappointed, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Jamal Murray. And like, yes, I've never been, really too, too high on the guy. And I know he had this insane playoff run. And yeah, he battled, he battled my boy Donovan for seven games. Like they were trading 50 buckets, 50 pieces back and forth, just bucket after bucket. But like, like we came into the year this year and I know you've seen it too, where, People are putting him, dude, like the fourth best point guard in the league. It's not like that. Like, I know, yes, recency bias is like a real thing. But like, come on. Like, he's not he's not better than people were saying he's better than like Kyrie, dude, or like CP or Westbrook. Like, come on. Like, let's be a little realistic. And then now, like, he's had he's had some good games, he's had some poor games. He's averaging 19, four, and four. 
like off of off of the bubble that he had, I feel like you would just expect him to just continue to grow on that, and he should be around like twenty three ish a night, especially like the way Jokic passes the ball. Like the dude's gonna get open looks, and he's shooting thirty four percent from three. Yeah, I mean. I do remember, I mean, obviously we both remember watching the run that he had in the bubble and just exactly what he was able to do on a night in and night out basis, especially that series against the jazz. And then just furthermore, like going up, you know, dropping 50 bombs. I don't even know how many 50 point games he had in the bubble, but just overall, I mean, the dude was like, yeah, it was lights out. Yeah. I mean, he was just knocking down shots from, from all over the place and, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I can see that. Um, it's just like, I don't like, I don't think he's grown on what was such like a huge step forward for him in the mm-hmm. bubble. Because leaving the bubble, you're like, all right, like this guy could be like the next star guard in the league. And he just simply hasn't done it. Yeah, that's, you make a good point. I'm trying to – I don't know. I'm, like, kind of stumped with this. I mean, you know, kind of looking at, at everybody. I mean, one player that I know stands out to me, but it's – I think it's more so on the fact that his team is not as great is D'Angelo Russell. I mean, the guy's averaging 20 and 5.5, and, and that's, you know – obviously those are good numbers, but, I mean, the Timberwolves are, once again, one of the worst teams – in basketball. No, I, I do like I not to cut you off, but I do like that pick. And I know like you were high on the Timberwolves. It was like, okay, Cat and Delo in year two together. Add in Edwards. You have these nice complimentary wings in a Kobe and Culver. And they just haven't done it, man. Yeah, I mean you 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 just don't really know. And like I mean last year when he came over to Minnesota you know, obviously what he did in Golden State before he got traded. I mean, he was at, this guy was averaging close to 24, six and a half. Even in Minnesota, he was averaging 22 and about seven in the 12 games he played before they got shut down. So you think like he would, you know, obviously this is such an unprecedented year and stoppages and all that. But you just, you just think that, that they would be able to, put it together in some form with the guys that they have. And I'm not saying be a top five team, but like, like I said in, in my preseason predictions, this is a team that could very well yeah, maybe be, be at the eight top to eight, but if not at the very least be one of the top 10 teams and get a chance in that playing game, which is what the talent that they have, obviously, you know, with what Carl Anthony Townsend had to go through has been something that nobody ever should go through, but the rest of that team just, it just doesn't seem like it's a solid core. I don't get why Anthony Edwards is coming off the bench. That's my biggest point with that team. I no, I do agree. I honestly like, I haven't watched many Timberwolf games, but I do look at like the box scores nightly. And I just still consistently see him like off the bench. I'm like, what, like Why? Why? I understand he didn't have a summer league. He didn't have a training camp or a preseason. So it's going to take some time for him to grow. But like, 
you might as well just let the guy free. Like you're kind of putting a restriction on him. And I know you're kind of like jumbled at that position in the wings. You have Beasley, you have Culver, you have a Kogi, and now you have Edwards. But like you drafted the guy first for a reason. You might as well yeah. let him free. Yeah, I, I just don't – yeah, that's one of the biggest things. I don't know why all of a sudden it's like, oh, we got to, you know, we got to limit him. We got to ease him in. I mean, like, you're 5-10. and 10. You're the worst team in basketball. Like, like, just let him go. See what happens. Like, the worst that happens is you keep doing what you're doing. Best case scenario, you start winning games. Like – they have they have the second worst record. They're four and twelve, and the only team that's worse is the Wizards at three and ten. Okay, I mean, so and if you look at the talent levels on those teams, yeah, if they would, played each other. You would think, I would, you would, yeah, you would as think good, that as good as Beal and Westbrook respectfully are, you're gonna take a team that has Towns, Russell, Culver, Beasley, Edwards. Kogi, Rubio, and whoever else they got. Yeah, I mean, it, it just – they don't belong down there. And, mm-hmm. and I think Russell is obviously a big part of that, you know, big part of the success, big part of the failure. And so far it's been – he's been a big part of the failure. So the last note I want to give about the NBA is about the Western Conference as a whole. Right now, and yes, it's early, but right now I feel like those top three teams in the Western Conference have separated themselves from like the rest of the pack. That being the two LA teams, Lakers, Clippers, and the Jazz, man. You saw last night, the Jazz versus the Knicks. Donnie had a horrible game, and now he's in concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. Bogey was bad. Clarkson was bad. And it's the Knicks, yes. They still won by 14 points. They were up by, I think it was 20 at halftime, too. The Knicks were. The Knicks were up by, like, 13 at half. Mm-hmm. So that's a 27-point swing. Mm-hmm. With him shooting 3 of 14. Like, the chemistry's there. Like, the experience is there. And I just personally think, like, they're on a mission, dude. Like, they blew the 3-1 lead to the Nuggets. Like, they, I feel like they just got something to prove. And, like, we saw, like, I've seen preseason picks where it's like, oh, they're going to finish eighth in the West or they're going to be in that playing game. Like, dude, they're just a well-coached team and well, like, constructed organization. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the stands, I mean, first of all, I mean – we have to say that this this title goes to the Lakers. It's just without a doubt. I mean, they oh, yeah. they are just waiting for some bump in the road. And you also realize that the biggest reason that they are as good as they've been is because they are so damn disciplined. I mean, ha- have you seen any COVID issues with the Lakers so far? Nope. No, because you look at you look at the team from the you know the top down leadership. Obviously, you have LeBron and AD, which is two of the top five players in the league. And then just outside of that, it's just a mix of, of veterans and guys that have been or been together for a couple of years where they've made mistakes in the past. I mean, you look at KCP, Kuzma especially, those two guys 
have kind of just flipped a switch and bought into the Lakers, what they're doing. And it just doesn't really seem like much is a competition for them. They're 14 and four, the half game above the jazz. They're a full game above the, of the Clippers. So obviously the fact that those two teams are keeping up with them is saying something, but then again, it's the regular season. We know what LeBron can do once the postseason comes. And I really don't think they're viewing this season as the regular season. I should say as much of a, like, let's show them what we did in the finals. No, they know what the grand goal is. They know where they're supposed to be and they're not going to burn themselves out in the regular season just to have the top seed in, in the West. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. So moving down a rank to the college level, we're almost into February. And as we said at the start, under 50 days till selection Sunday. And like, like the college basketball season, man, it's just been a, a whirlwind. Like some teams have nine games played. Some teams have 19 games played. So we kind of don't know, but like we have a general idea of what each team is kind of like and I just think that we got to start like right now it's it's Gonzaga Baylor and like everyone else as much as you might not want to say it and I don't want to say it and like I like hate to think it but like I know it's true yeah I mean you hate in college basketball to say pencil anybody in for, you know, for a final four, because obviously in the tournament, you know, one game, one bad game and you're done. I mean, Gonzaga is just a juggernaut. And the same thing with Baylor. Baylor just does it in a different way than Gonzaga. Gonzaga has the offensive firepower. I want to say, you know, the last time we've seen a team relatively that great offensively was the Villanova team in 2018. Just the fact that they shoot so well, they make the extra passes, they do what they need to do to get an open shot. And I don't even know what they're averaging per game. It's definitely at least high 80s. Um, um, they are giving you – try 94 points a game. Yeah, I mean, just geez. Like, that alone is tough to – tough to, to – match just in a 40 minute college basketball game and then Baylor on the other side is just they just lock in defensively they get the stops in a you know the big 12 in basketball is complete opposite of what the big 12 in football is I mean it is just a gritty grind it out game every night yeah it's like like you said it's too and we got robbed of watching them play due to COVID, but mm-hmm. it's like two totally different styles, but both can play the opposite style if need be. Like Gonzaga can get gritty if they need to, and Baylor can join a three-point shooting contest if they want and hold their own. So, yeah, it kind of sucks to just like pencil like them both in, but like I feel like right now, all like the college basketball world is just in agreement that that's the case. Yeah. But I think like we, we got to talk about Alabama dude. And yes, it's always going to be known as a football school, no matter what, but the job that Nate Oates is doing is 
incredible. Yeah, I mean they, the game they had versus LSU last week. Like, oh my lord. And then they play a grinded out game last night against Kentucky and find a way to win. Yeah, I mean the I think I saw a stat that I think it was yesterday that in the past three games that uh, that they have played, I want to say it was the last three, they have held their opponents to their lowest offensive efficiency rating the entire season. The past three games, they've done it three times. Three separate teams have had their lowest offensive efficiency rating against Alabama. Like, it's a this is something – yeah, I mean, fourteen and three, nine and zero in in the SEC. I mean, nobody saw this coming. Like, and they are just—they're a complete team. Like, believe it or not, like they don't. I mean, their highest score is averaging fourteen a game. Like, that's it's, just it's petty, right? Yeah, you got John Petty averaging fourteen. You got uh, you got. Yep, you got him averaging 13 and a half. You got Herbert Jones averaging 13. Jelly Fam JQ's averaging 12. Like, it's just a balanced team that can lock in defensively. That's the biggest whole, that's the biggest part of this whole thing. If they don't lock in defensively, they don't have a 14 3 mark. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, we both thought that like Tennessee was just going to kind of like cakewalk through the sec i mean they have probably the most talent in the league they have the most experience in the league and then like yeah you have kentucky who you like expect to be good or figure it out and they just simply suck Mm -hmm. there's no other way to put it they're just terrible i can't see them making the ncaa tournament unless they win i don't see it i don't see it either uh and then like we were like okay like bama florida obviously florida has gone through something that Mm-hmm. It's terrible, and honestly, yeah, it honestly was for them the low to point bounce, of college for basketball. Them to bounce back and play the way they are is an accomplishment of its own. Mm-hmm. LSU has been up and down. Freshman Cam Thomas has been phenomenal, mm-hmm. but dude, like Alabama, dude, has just like stepped up above everyone else. Like it's like they're on one level, and everyone else is chasing that. Yeah, they have a three-game lead in in the conference. LSU six and three, and obviously Bama's nine and zero. Oh, and you know the crazy thing about this year is like it—it it feels like we're just kind of getting uh, our legs under us, and we're you know now we're locking in. This is kind of like how you feel end of December, early January. But I mean, we have a month left, mm-hmm. a month left, and then conference tournaments, however they may happen, and then we got the big dance in Indy. It- it's happening, man. Like, no matter what, the NCAA tournament is happening. Yes. I don't care. It's, it, I don't care if it's like AAU style where you're playing four or five games on the same court. Well, it's happening. You saw, like, the mini change, right, where it's like Thursday is first four only. Mm-hmm. And then Friday, Saturday is round of 64, and then – Sunday, Monday is round of 32. And then it goes back to Thursday, Friday, I believe. Mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday. And then it's like Final Four and National Championship. So, like, 
it's coming fast. And like, yeah, you're right. Like I watched last night, I watched Duke play their 11th game of the year. So like talk about like just like figuring it out. Like they're still trying to figure it out. And it's like, dude, you got a month left. Like you, you got seven, eight games and you're in the ACC tournaments. Like you kind of got to figure it out. And yes, all mostly all blue bloods have had a struggle this year. Kentucky, as we noted, is just simply not making the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. North Carolina has been up and down. Duke's been up and down. Kansas has lost a few. Michigan State isn't the same school it was a year or two ago. They're in a transition stage right now. UCLA is not like the same. Like all these huge brand name schools aren't doing it. And we're seeing Gonzaga's taking the world by storm. Baylor, Nova, Michigan, like Alabama, all these schools are just jumping at the opportunity. And like one of them is probably going to win the title. I mean, I couldn't tell you who's going to win right now. I mean, you could say Gonzaga or Baylor and you'd be like, all right, yeah, nice pick. But like, you still got to wait. You never know. Things in college basketball change at the blink of an eye. Yeah. I'm very curious to see what percentage of people who fill out a bracket this year are going to pick Gonzaga or Baylor because if I had to guess, it would probably be something in like the 40% range. I was going to say more. I'm thinking I, I was thinking 50. I didn't want to stay. If they stay as hot as those two teams are, if they both enter like the people who only watch college basketball come March, mm-hmm. they're going to see these two teams and be like, geez, like they are dynamic. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll rephrase it, I guess, a different way. If both teams enter the NCAA tournament undefeated, then yes, I will. We I think we see them. We see probably fifty-five to sixty percent mm. pick. If I mean, in all likelihood, Baylor would be the team to lose out of the two of them. Yes, uh, you would probably see. I, I think without a doubt, people like I don't know, thirty or forty percent of people are going to pick Gonzaga just because of the juggernaut team that they've been so far. Um, but I think those two teams are going to be locked for the Final Four. I would like to see. It's probably going to be probably like 70% or what, like the amount that people are going to have them in the final four, just the final four in general is going to be ridiculous. It's probably going to be record numbers for like ESPN brackets or whatever, whatever site you use. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be record high because they're the only team that has been consistent through everything. Mm -hmm. So right now with a month to go, are you saying we haven't talked about him yet? Are you saying Luca Garza is the national player of the year without a doubt? Yeah, I mean, I think he is. Um, obviously, we're you know since we're on the talk of player of the year, we obviously have to bring up Io DeSumo. We have to, um, you know, with what he's been able to do. So, but I, yeah, I, I would still put my money on Garza right now. Um, obviously, we still have a little bit of time to figure that out. Um, Hey, they and play could, Friday night. Exactly. I mean, that could very well be a game for whoever performs better or whoever's team comes out with the win, gives you a little bit of an edge in player of the year. I mean, if Io flat out plays them, he could, you know, in my opinion, he could jump 
Garza. In, yeah, in- I just I don't want to simply say that it's done. Like Garza, it's Garza's like award now. Mm-hmm. But he's obviously the front runner, but you do have guys like you said in Io. You have Jared Butler out of Baylor. Um, you have whoever you want to pick off Gonzaga, Kispert, Jay Sugg, Jalen Suggs. Mm-hmm. And like you just have other guys who are just like physically having really good years to join the club as well. I mean, you could pick someone off Michigan if you want. I say Livers is having a nice year. Anyone off freaking Alabama. It's, so it's not like over, over, but yeah, I think it's going to come down to those three. Io is going to put up numbers. If Illinois continues to win and not like just lose these random games, he'll be up there. Butler is going to be up there, and then obviously Garza. Mm-hmm. That like that's just the way I see. And obviously, I do think Garza is probably going to end up winning the award. But I mean, like I'd like to see a little competition. And you said like if Iowa goes crazy on Friday night, wins them the game, you never know. Yeah, what happened? We still got the, yeah, I mean, I'm, we still have you know, oh, the yeah. last four weeks of the season conference tournaments because, I mean, this decision isn't made till around the final four. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, plenty of time for that to change yeah. for sure. Biggest thing for me with college basketball is we're getting a tournament. That's all I ask. That Exactly. Exactly. That is one. That is like the base. That is what we needed, mm-hmm. um, especially after obviously everything that happened last year on that fateful week in March where everything came to a halt and yeah, I mean, things just escalated very quickly. And the next thing, you know, the picture of Johnny Thunderbird sitting in an empty Madison square garden started circulating the internet. And that's when we knew, well, things are a little bit more severe than we originally thought they were going to be. But yes, I mean, even if it is in one place and regardless of what they have to go through, there will be, you know, those four days where you're going to have three channels from noon to midnight playing college basketball. And it is going to be a, an amazing sight to see uh, once again. Yeah. No, I'm, I can't wait. It's like literally like the greatest weekend of the year. It's just fantastic. And you said it's, it's Friday, Sunday, Saturday, Monday, right? Yeah. Friday, Saturday, round of 64, Sunday, Monday, round 32. Love it. Uh, yeah, it's – oh, please, like, sign me up now. I'll fast forward six weeks or whatever the heck it is. Do it now. But that's all the time we got for this week, episode seven. Dan, great to have you back. Missed you, but the fill-ins were – they did their job. They did well. Love having them on. They'll be back for – Probably a mock draft episode for the NFL because that's a, always a hot topic of conversation. But that's down the line. But we'll keep watching Hoop and the Super Bowl and talk to you guys next week. <laughs>